But what you do get to choose is, am I a silent partner with the government or am I an active partner with the government? See, because what the government's done over the years, and this is every government, just as true in the UK as it is in South Africa, as it is in the US, is they've looked for what policies do they want to encourage? What do they want to do? And then they provide tax incentives to get people to do it. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger and curiosity for optimizing business performance, exploring corporate culture, customer addiction, and building high-performing teams. It's full of advice from my guests, entrepreneurs, fellow business authors, and examples from some of my work over the last few years, coaching the CEOs and leadership teams of some amazingly successful tech firms. The Melting Pot is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a highly scalable business and realize the potential of your life's work. If you enjoy the episode, head over to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast to find today's show notes and more editions of The Melting Pot. While you're there, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you can pick up a copy of my new book, Plan B, How to Scale Your Technology Business Faster and Achieve Plan A. Enjoy. Hello, today I'm talking with and learning from Tom Wheelwright. Now, Tom is a CPA. Don't hold that against him. He's also an entrepreneur. And we talk about the difference between CPAs and entrepreneurs and how rare entrepreneurial CPAs are. He's also a rich dad advisor and he and Robert Kawasaki teach all over the world, teach the fundamentals of business to entrepreneurs. His latest book is The Win-Win Wealth Strategy. And we talk about what are the seven investments the government will pay you to make. His contention is that we have no moral obligation to pay tax. In fact, the opposite is true. He says 0.5% of the tax code, and he's checked in the UK, he says tax code in the UK, HMRC's tax code is about 12,000 pages. And only, only half of 1% is about how we should pay tax. The rest of it is exemptions, which are there so that the government willingly tries to drive our behavior in a way that it sees fit and his job as a CPA and a tax advisor is to help those of us who wish to pay less tax to do so. So an interesting conversation. We look at where he thinks he's looked at in his book. He's got the tables for 15 countries and we compare and contrast some of the things he knows about France, South Africa, England, UK, America and Canada. We have a great conversation. We also talk about cash flow, which is a board game, which is a fabulous way to teach adults the rules of investing and cash flow and making money. Um, now, I'm slightly disappointed to hear from him that if I knew the rules, I could play this game in an hour. I have to say, when I played it with my team, it's taken several hours and we've, well, we've run out of time before we finish the game. So that makes me feel as though I don't know the rules well enough. And he says, actually, that's the thing with tax. Often when people are envious of others because they pay no tax or less tax, it's really because they feel bad themselves that they haven't learned the rules and the rules are there to be learned. Although he does say that often your accountant isn't a great tax advisor and maybe you need a specialist who is creative and knows how to play the rules in a non-linear fashion. So I had a great conversation with Tom. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright. I'm the CEO and founder of WealthAbility, um, a network of CPA firms in the US and Canada. And I started my career 
at Ernst & Young, one of the largest accounting firms in the world. And I spent three years in the national tax office. Then I spent four years as the in-house tax advisor for a Fortune 1000 company. I spent 25 years buying, building, and selling CPA accounting. And for the last 12, 15 years while I was doing that, I have traveled the world with Mr. Robert Kiyosaki of Rich Dad Poor Dad fame. And we have taught literally on six continents and 30 countries. And really the message is financial education, not just only for the entrepreneur and investor, for, but for those who would like to be entrepreneurs and investors and really explain how financial education actually works. I mean, if I thought Monopoly was a long play game, it's not, it's not, you can't sit down and play that in 20 minutes. That's for sure. No, you, you, you can't let that. I, I will tell you what I, what I love about that game. And I tease Robert about this all the time. It's really an accounting game. Because it has a balance sheet, it has an income statement, it has a statement of cash flow. So it actually teaches, it's really good for entrepreneurs, investors to learn how to handle their financial statements and what they really mean. And then how to look for cash flow instead of looking for just appreciation in, you know, in their stocks, bonds, mutual funds, et cetera, where they can actually get cash flow either from operating businesses, real estate, or other investments. So I, I think it's a great game from an educational standpoint. It is, it can be a long game if you play it all the way through for sure. I, except I will tell you, the goal is always, to, you should be able to win in under an hour. So you should be able to, to finish that in under an hour. Well, man, I tell you, we would, we would do, in that case, we were doing it wrong because <laughs> like two hours later. I tell you, once you learn how to do it, you can do it every time. You can do it every single time. But there's a, there's a lot of great financial education in there. Anyway, so for the last five years, we've, we sold our big CPA firm my partner and I, and we've been running this network where we train other CPAs. We deliver a lot of financial education, particularly in the tax area. And my, and I write books. And my most recent book is The Win-Win Wealth Strategy, Seven Investments the Government Will Pay You to Make. And that book actually covers 15 countries and does charts and tables on the laws of 15 countries, really to show how the tax laws really work, not what they say, not what the pundits say they do, but how do the tax laws really work and how does the government benefit from it and how does the entrepreneur, investor, and average individual, or how can they benefit from it? The dialogue that you relate where a lady is saying, isn't it our moral duty to pay our taxes? And what, what do you say to that? Well, it's our moral duty to pay every bit of tax that we owe. It's not our moral duty to owe any tax. That's the difference. So we don't have a moral duty to pay more tax than we owe. In fact, we actually have, in, and, and I talk about this when we wealth strategy, we actually have a moral duty to do what the government wants us to do. And by doing so, pay the least amount of tax possible. We're actually, so, you know, I like to say you have a choice. You're, you're, what you don't have a choice in, you're a partner with the government. You're in the game. You don't get to choose whether you're in the game, right? You live on earth. Therefore, you are a partner with the government. You are in the game. But what you do get to choose is, am I a silent partner with the government or am I an active partner with the government? See, because what the government's done over the years, and this is every government, just as true in the UK as it is in South Africa, as it is in the US, is they've looked for what policies do they want to encourage? What do they want to do? And then they provide tax incentives to get people to do it because they realized a long time ago that nobody likes paying tax. And so a little bit of tax incentive goes a very long ways and they can actually do more with a tax incentive than they can with an actual physical payment of money because the, the tax stimulus, people have this emotion with it and the tax stimulus is actually better 
and it works as leverage for them. So they get, for example, let's say they want to increase jobs. They do that through tax benefits, right? Let's say they want to increase clean energy is the big one right now, right? So the, the big issue right now between the EU and the, and the U.S. is we, the U.S. just put in this law that has all these tax benefits for clean energy, but only if you manufacture in the U.S., and so the EU is all up in arms over this, right? Well, wait a minute. What about, you know, what about BMW and Volkswagen and all these other places? And we're going, well, come to the U.S. and you can get our tax benefits, but you're not going to get our tax benefits if you're not in the U.S. And so th those are true and center of them. This is a, you know, this is a very progressive issue. And yet the progressives use the tax law just as much as the conservatives do. So you can't say it's one party or one faction or the other. What we do know is that the government... Everybody in politics loves power, right? That's rule number one. That's num rule number one is they love power. Their biggest power that anybody in government has is the power of taxation. And so the way to actually encourage behavior, one of the ways that they've learned over the years is let's give tax benefits. And if we give tax benefits, then we will get the results we want. When I listened to the dialogue in the book, I was thinking, I know what motivates this lady you've just made her seem feel a little bit dim. And so she's envious. And so it's, but I've played by the rules. And then you say, no, no, but you haven't been playing by the rules. You've been playing by what you think are the rules. And then they go, oh God, I feel so stupid. And so then it's like, oh, well, then people double down on the mistake they've already made because they don't want to, they don't want to feel like you got one over on them. For sure. It's like they don't know the rules. I mean, it's like you were talking about the cash flow game earlier. Once you really learn the rules of that game, it's a really easy game to play and you're going to you're going to get through that game really fast and it's really easy to win. But you have to know all the rules of the game and you don't know that until you play it over and over and over again, right? The same thing's true in business, entrepreneurship and taxes is that until you understand the rules of the game, you can't say I follow the rules of the game. You follow the rules you know, but you don't follow the rules you don't know and you don't know what you don't know. So, what don't people know? What 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 are these what are these th what are these things that people don't know? Well, not, number number one is they don't realize they don't know that the tax law is primarily a series of incentives for entrepreneurs and investors. You reckon five percent of the tax law is about raising money, and the other ninety five percent point five percent that literally in every in every law. So I every time I go to a, another country to speak. So when I go to London, I look up UK law. I always look up the law and I'm going, so here's what happens. Every country has a law that says all income's taxable unless we say it isn't. So the general rule is everything's taxable unless, unless they say it isn't. And then they have another rule that says nothing's deductible unless we say it. And then they have charts and tables telling you how much tax to pay. But that only takes like 30 pages. <laughs> the UK, your tax law is like 12,000 pages, <laughs> right? So, so you got 11,970 pages some odd pages that is basically an instruction guide to reducing taxes. The problem is, is that most people are so fearful of taxes and so fearful of the HMRC or the IRS that, that they go, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to pay. I'm not even going to look at it, but, but they're, they're also lazy, right? It's like you said, they double down because, oh, well, I was so lazy not to learn how what the government wants me to do, that I'm just going to pay taxes and then they'll leave me alone. Well, yeah, you can do that. 
And and I would say 90% of the public, 80 to 90% of the public does that. You know, they just, okay, I'm just going to pay my taxes, go on my own way and complain about the rich, right? Not paying taxes. What, what the smart entrepreneurs do, the reason the rich don't pay tax, most of them is because they understand the laws. Like, you know, you were talking about one earlier and then understand the laws that different countries have different laws and you can play those laws against each other. It's called tax avoidance, not tax evasion. It's perfectly legal and expected. But there's so many tax benefits within the UK tax law or within the US tax law. You never have to leave the country. I mean, there are people who go to Malta or they'll go to you know, some tax haven in the U.S., they go to Puerto Rico, right? And I'm going, well, okay, but then you have to live in Puerto Rico. That's not, you know, the ideal place to live. You can get the same result in the U.S. You can get the same result in London. You can get the same result in Paris. doesn't matter where you are. It's just that once you understand the rules, all the government says is you put the money where we, you put your money where we want you to put it. We'll give you a tax benefit. And you'll pay less tax. I'll give you a, a very simple example in, in South Africa. South Africa gives 150% deduction for research and development expense. So if you spend $100, you get a $150 deduction or 150 rand in South Africa, right? But that's, but that's how it works in South Africa. That's better than the tax benefits in the U.S. for research and development. Every country has these particular, and, and they tend to be the same. That's why, you know, in, in my book, that's why I work with those seven, because they tend to be the same from country to country. And that's really interesting, because one of our clients currently claims R&D tax credits in the UK, but there's a change coming in in the next few years in the UK, where unless you spend that R&D money in the UK, you won't get the credit. But if they moved their R&D to South Africa, they'd get more than they're getting today. Well, there you go. So, or you can move South Africa. France has tremendous R&D credits. I mean, how do you think Airbus got to be so successful? It wasn't with their own, it wasn't on their own. They got government help, right? Airbus got a lot of government help from the, from the French government. Well, that's not unusual. That's very typical that an industry gets government help. Well, a lot of the government help comes through tax benefits. So take the UK and the US, we both get a lot of tax benefits if we invest in real estate. You invest in rental real estate, you invest in real estate for your business, you're going to get a, a lot of tax benefits that you wouldn't do if you invested in the stock market or if you invested in bonds. So, you know, the government's just saying, well, don't put your money over here. If you put your money over here, we'll tax you. If you put your money where we want it to, where it maybe creates technology or whether it's or, or creates jobs or creates energy or um, creates, you know, builds real estate, housing, et cetera, things that the, that the public needs. We'll give you better tax benefits and you'll pay less tax. Do you have a favorite weird tax loophole or maybe a few from some of the seven countries you've looked at or the number of countries you've looked at? I, I, I would start with none of these are loopholes. There is a difference. So loopholes are still laws, but they're unintended consequences. Yes. Right. So, for example, uh, Malta, until recently, somebody living in the U.S. could actually set up a pension plan in Malta put their, the stock from their own business into that company, into that pension plan, 100% of it, and not never pay tax on it, ever, when you sold the company. The Internal Revenue Service came in and changed that a couple of years ago, but that's a loophole, okay? That's what we're talking about as a loophole. But my favorite is always business, okay? Business is actually the best place to put your money. First of all, it's the place, your own business is where you're going to make the most money right? You have the most control over it. You can, you know, you can impact it the most and your return on investment should be the highest of any investment you make. But remember, every dollar you put back in your business is tax-free. 
right? Because you get a deduction for it as a business expense. So you make $100 in business, you put $100 back into your business, you get, you pay tax, you zero tax, right? Because you got $100 of expenses in your business, $100 of income. But if you take that $100 and put it in the stock market, you'd pay tax on that money. So putting it in your own business, business by far, number one, everything else builds on business. If you don't have a business, you're pretty much out of luck. Well, it's, I had Greg Crabtree on the podcast. And Greg reckons that if you're a business owner, you should be getting somewhere between 50 and 100% return on the capital invested in your business. Whereas if you then, and it's funny because most entrepreneurs I speak to, I say, what, what return are you getting the capital invested? They have no idea. Right. They don't, they don't know the answer to that question. If you're private equity, you know exactly what that number is and you're measuring it really, really, really carefully. But somehow entrepreneurs don't see it. So they haven't been on your class. They haven't listened to you speak. Well, this is, this is where understanding accounting, I'm going to go back to the cash flow game. Understanding accounting is so important because you need to know your numbers. And that's one of your numbers that you ought to know is what is your return on capital? Now, you, you got to break that down between return on your services versus return on capital. So return on services should come in form of salary, right? That's what return on services should be. But the rest is return on capital. And I, I agree. I think the a, a good entrepreneur will do 50 to 100% in their business, and they'll never do that well anywhere else. Totally. Except maybe, except maybe with a good tax advisor. And so one of the other things is that you say is that your tax advisor isn't doing your taxes. And so maybe, maybe that needs some explanation, because I'm sure most people think that their accountants are doing their taxes. Well, they're doing the tax return, but that's not where you save taxes. I mean, you can. I mean, there's you know, your tax preparer should save you taxes and should reduce your chances of an audit. But most of it comes in planning. The question isn't, is this deductible? The question is, how do I make it deductible? Okay. So what I can, my job is to tell you what facts you need to change in order to lower your taxes, but you have to change the facts. So we always say, if you want to change your tax, you have to change your facts, right? So- Because it's snapping. It's, it's that simple though. But, but again, I can't change your facts for you. All I can do is tell you what facts to change. You have to decide. We'll have, we'll have people come to us. We'll spend months with them. And, they'll, and then they'll complain that they didn't get any value out of it. And this is pretty rare, but every once in a while we'll get this. And I'll go, what do you mean? And, you know, I'll, I'll rattle off all the tax opportunities. Well, I didn't want to do those. Seriously? That's your response? You don't want to do it. Therefore, it's my fault. Uh, I'm going, I'm sorry, but you've got to participate. You got to be partners with the government, participate with the government, and you got to be partners with your tax advisor. Okay. So actually, I, I changed, I, I asked you another question before I got you to answer the other one, which was, what are some of your favorite tax stories? Oh, yeah. So so I actually, the, my favorites are the seven in my book, Win-Win Wealth Strategy. So business is number one. Technology is number two because of the research and development tax benefits. Number three would be real estate. It's interesting because, you know, some countries, they don't really allow you to invest in fossil fuels, but they all allow you to invest in solar, wind, geothermal. So the new energy that's coming online, those are, that's all private investment. That's not government investment. So, but there are huge tax benefits there. And then, of course, agriculture. 
I've never met a farmer who paid tax. I mean, literally never in my life met a farmer who paid tax. And it's just huge tax incentives. I mean, agriculture has the most of every everybody. And, and then, you know, there are a couple of others that are kind of minor, you know, life insurances can be can have huge tax benefits in it. And of course, retirement plans is the ones that everybody talks about. But the problem with retirement plans is that in most cases, unless you're in Australia, you end up paying tax at the end. Right. So it, it's just you're just postponing the tax. And Australia, of course, you got the super annuation, which you, you pay a much lower rate of tax. And so it actually can and you can pay actually no tax. In the U.S., we have a Roth IRA, Roth 401k, where you don't pay any tax. So there are some some benefits to these so-called qualified plans. But really, the qualified plans, the tax benefit is an incentive for you to put your money in the stock market to boost up the stock market. And that is really what qualified plans are all about. They're all about how does Wall Street get more money into Wall Street? Because Wall Street's basically a Ponzi scheme, right? It, well, it is. It, it, you boost up the price by putting more money in. And if you have a four, let's say you have a pension plan and that pension plan is required, you're required to put money in every month. And I know I get in the UK, it may be the employer who's putting it in, but you're required to put money in every month. And that money has to go into the stock market, okay? It has to go into financial instruments. Well, what does that do? That just pushes the price up right? Because you get more money into the market with the same number of companies. So that just pushes, again, just keeps pushing up the prices. It's a pon it's total Ponzi scheme. And <laughs> I'm sorry, but I think Wall Street, when, when they convinced governments to do pension plans and profit sharing plans and, you know, 401k in the US and supers and in Australia, I mean, this was brilliant because Okay, now you actually have to put your money into the stock market. And so the average investor who never put their money in the stock market prior to 1974, now they're putting all their money into the stock market, depending on the stock market for the retirement, which I think is a horrible idea. But anyway, you know, it, it is a tax benefit. All right. But the better tax benefits all come through business ownership. It's interesting when you mentioned solar, because I was just thinking we did some work a while ago with a business called Eco2 Solar. And Paul, the CEO, said to me, because I said, how quickly will I pay this back? You know, what's the, is it a three-year payback? And he goes, Dom, he said, you're asking yourself completely the wrong question. And I said, why? And he said, well, because this is a capital investment and you could take this money, this money, you have to have this money. So the money's in the bank. Well, how much are you getting in the bank? I said, I don't know, 1%. He said, okay. So he said, I reckon you're going to get 10% or better as a return on your capital, rather than you thinking it'll pay itself back in three years or four years or five years. He said, and when you look at it like that, it's a complete no brainer to stick it on your roof and reduce your, and reduce your electricity bill and think about it a return on investment rather than payback. And I went, oh, okay. I said, I hadn't thought about it like that, but now I do. It's a complete, it, he's right. It's a total no brainer. And, and on top of that, most governments these days are giving tax incentives for it. So like in the US, you can get the government to pay for about two thirds of solar equipment that goes on your commercial building or on your re rental property, about two thirds the government pays for. So that basically is tripling your return on investment. So I just put some, I just put solar panels, $100,000 on my roof in my, at my office, the building that I own in Arizona. And my actual return is 7%, but because I only put a third of it in, the government put in two thirds, my real return is 21%. So the government puts in two thirds, but they don't get two thirds back, right? I mean, they're not getting that, that much money back. So yeah, they do recoup some because of course I have lower utility bills. So therefore I'm not going to have the deduction for the utilities and therefore I'm going to have more income 
that I'm going to pay income tax on to the government, right? Unless I do more investment. But the key is, the key is always, it almost becomes an addiction. It becomes an investment addiction. What to not, what to not pay tax. You have to continue to put your money back into the economy. You have to continue to reinvest it. And as long as you continue to reinvest it, you don't pay tax. But the minute you stop reinvesting it, you pay tax. Very good. Are there any odd things that aren't in that seven in different countries? We, you mentioned R&D in South Africa and France. I, I mean, tons. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you one that was, it was pretty funny. I was in South Africa with Kiyosaki a few years ago. And we had a South African chartered accountant on stage with us because we want to make sure we have somebody local, right? Really smart woman. And I'm on stage and I said, you know, you could pay your kids to work in your business and your kids would actually pay either a low or zero tax rate and you'd get a tax deduction at your highest marginal rate. And I turned to her and I said, so does that work in South Africa? And she goes, she gets this like, oh my heavens, the light bulb just went on. Yes, that would work. (laughs) but not something that she never thought of. Right. And so I'm going, you know, cause in most countries, I mean, I think, you know, any, I, I don't know any countries where it's not the case. Child labor laws don't apply to your own kids, <laughs> right? You can employ your own kids in your business. So, so I literally had, so literally I had a, I mean, he was a, a, a physician, but he invested in a lot of real estate and he had an eight-year-old daughter, smart as a whip. And he had her set up his QuickBooks his accounting system. And uh, she actually did his books for his real estate as an eight-year-old. And that was years ago. When she graduated from college, she took a job on Wall Street. So she got the lessons, right? I mean, she learned how to do it. She learned the lessons. She got the financial lessons. And as a result, you know, it it helped her along in her career and and her life. But at the same time, he was getting a big tax deduction for paying her. And how did you, how did you end up meeting Robert? What's the, how did you, how do you end up now teaching this around the world together? Well, it's been tremendous opportunity really has. Robert's terrific. I met him because I actually broke up with a business partner and half of the clients went with my business partner. This was like 25 years ago. And the other, but all of the employees stayed with me. So kind of explains why we broke up. But so we have this surplus of employees and, and you know, the, the choice is, well, do we let half the employees go or do we just go find business? So I just decided, I just go, I'm just going to go buy another CPA firm. I'm just going to go buy a practice. And I bought the CPA firm. And uh, the verse, first thing the seller says is you've got to read this book because this is one of the clients. And the book was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh-huh. And I had... I'd never heard of it. No idea. This was back in 2001. I had no idea who Robert was. I read the book. Turns out that one of my good friends had just become the chief financial officer of Robert's company, Rich Dad. And so, you know, all these things work together. Robert's a very bold. He, he put me on stage without knowing anything about me, which was <laughs> very gutsy of him. And uh, asked, actually had me explain depreciation, which is, you know, cost recovery on like real estate. And I said, well, it's a, it's a little bit of magic. And so I'm explaining this. And since then, we've just been off. We've just been, we've been teaching all over the world. That's fab. And how many days do you teach? You know, counting podcasts, I teach just about every day. And so do you have a personal purpose? Oh, absolutely. And what's that? Well, we, we call it our, our Declaration of Financial Independence. And we, our, our goal is to help people everywhere, what, doesn't matter what continent they're on, become financially independent of employers, of the government, and of Wall Street. Once you gain that kind of financial independence, basically you can do anything you want in life. So that is that is our mission. 
Very good. I found myself years ago, I read a little book called The Little Book of Calm, picked it up in a service station, a filling station. And in it, it said, financial independence from your employer so that you are a volunteer, not a wage slave. It's three months salary in the bank. Because if you stop, you know, discretionary spend, you could probably eke it out for six. And no self-respecting person is not un- is not re-employable in six months. And so I, once I got three months cash in the bank, it was like, I'm a volunteer. Ah, oh, it completely and utterly changed my attitude. Totally. Like I wasn't going to allow people to force me to do things. You know, my dad was an inspiration. He didn't enjoy certainly the last 10 years of his work and life. And I thought, I'm not going to do a job I don't enjoy. And this gave me some independence. But what, what should people be doing tomorrow or this afternoon or today to help them with this financial independence? What do you think is often the first step that people should take? It's, it's education. It's always the first step. And I, I would point him to, to a Kiyosaki's cash flow game. I, I really do think that's such a powerful game because it teaches, you know, Monopoly's great because, you know, it's fun and, and you know, you kind of learn a little bit about real estate, but this is much more, cash flow games, much more detailed, has financial statements. You have to have an auditor, right? Which I love. And, and, and so you actually have to learn how to do business the right way. You have to learn how to invest the right way. And so I actually think it's a great game. Certainly Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all, all the books in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series. Of course, I've got three books out there, which I highly recommend, but truly financial education. There's some other great education. There's Ken Honda's book, Happy Money from uh, Japan. That's a f- phenomenal book. Ken's a great guy. I've, I've been on stage with him. He's terrific. There are other, you know, there are other great authors. So I, I do think though, that it's understanding that, you know, what you've been told in school is not. It's just a small piece of financial education. It's a very small piece. And there's a lot more to learn out there. And just you just can never stop learning. And so like Robert and I and a, a, group, of, a group of us, we get together every week, a piece of financial education, a video. We actually, curiously enough, this week we're studying a video on tax havens, which is very interesting. Tax havens like Malta, like, you know, the, the Channel Islands like uh, Cayman Islands, right? So it's a very interesting video because most people never even look at that. But, you know, most people don't have the money to go to someplace like that. So they don't need, but they don't need to because they can get the tax benefits in their own country. But it's not until you're making millions and millions that you really need to look at those offshore type of opportunities. Well, I, we've had two guests on the podcast who've deliberately relocated. So I was mentioning Eric Patica, who I mentioned him to you before, who's now in Lisbon. And he said on the show, look, I'm in Lisbon and I can live tax-free here. And we had Cameron Herald on the podcast who sold all his houses, sold three houses and five cars. He's currently working as a digital nomad before he settles in Dubai because there's no income tax in Dubai, right? His, kids, his, his youngest kid had gone off to university and he thought, I don't need to live here anymore. And he and his wife packed up and traveled, traveling the world. Yeah. I'm, and you said that you've got in the USA and Canada, you've got a, a network of tax advisory firms. And so I, I guess the way you describe that, that's not the same as having an accountant. Say so- No, it's much more than having an accountant. I mean, they're all, they're all accountants, okay? But they're actually entrepreneurs who happen to be accountants, and that's unusual. It's hard to find accountants who are entrepreneurs as well. Typically, they just own their job, right? So th- these are 65 entrepreneurs, right, who are out there wanting to give advice, not just do accounting. And we, we have, they're all over the country. And we have, we have one in Canada. We'll get to the UK soon. Not this year, 
but soon? I'd say if you're in the US and you're listening to this, then we'll put the show, we'll put some links on the on the show notes, but they're not going to do your accounting. They're not going to do your tax return. They're just going to give you those options. They will. Actually, they're going to do that too, because I think it's actually very important. It's very important that the person who gives you the advice also does your tax returns because your tax returns are actually part of the advisory process. Okay. That's where the rubber meets the road, right? That's implementing the tax, the tax planning you've done. So it's very important that it be the same person. You can have your bookkeeping done by somebody else, um, but you, your, your tax returns as well as your tax advisory needs to be the same place. Okay. Okay. Tom, what is it that you know now that you wish you'd known earlier? You know, I, what I would say is, is that transparency is a good thing. It's okay to let people know who you really are. I, I think that, uh, you know, as kids, we kind of learn how to defend ourselves, whether it's against bullies, whether, I mean, I was bullied a lot as a kid and, you know, whether you defend yourself against bullies, you defend yourself against whatever you're defending yourself against, right? You know, as you get older, you realize, you know what, you don't need all those defenses that the more, that the more transparent you are. This is one thing I learned from Kiyosaki. He is the most transparent person I've ever met. I mean, what you see is what you get with him. And you don't have to like it because he doesn't care if you like it. Frankly, he doesn't. He doesn't care if you like it. He doesn't care if you like him. He, but he's, he's completely honest, right? He, he's a very honest person. He says what he thinks. He means what he says. And he doesn't pull any punches. And I, I think that transparency and our behaviors and, you know, who we really are, I, I just, you know, it, as you get older, you, you don't need to defend so much because you realize that, guess what? You're good with who you are and you don't need to pretend to be anybody else. Okay, very good. As I was chuckling when you were talking about CPAs who are also entrepreneurs, we do the table groups working genius assessment with clients. And so, you know, wonder, invention, discernment, galvanize, enable, tenacity, and most accountants, software developers, project managers are all at sort of that end. And so, except one of our clients has got a CFO who's and and he said he said actually he lost left his last job he, he said because they said look we hired you to count the beans we didn't hire you to have ideas so if you could just if you could just shut up and count the beans and he said he just just couldn't be himself so I know I know how challenging it is if you're a CPA and you're an accountant and you're creative the rest of the industry is against you so uh, it 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 is is difficult but it's also an advantage so uh, you know people. Tell me, I'm, I'm the only right brain CPA they've ever met, and which is true. I've actually taken the, the, you know, the tests you can take online, right? And I'm extraordinary. I'm very right brain. But when it comes to tax, remember, tax isn't written by accounts. Tax is written by lawyers. Accounts tend to be very linear, right? Right, one, two, three, four, five equals six, right? But what we've been able to do, because I think nonlinear, is actually take a nonlinear law and then create a system to make it linear so that the accounts can follow it and they can deliver it. So that it, it's actually, I think it's always an advantage to be unique in your profession. I think that's always a, a big advantage. Very nice. And so other than win-win wealth strategy and tax-free wealth, what else should people, what, what, and you've mentioned, we've mentioned Robert Kawasaki's rich dad, poor dad. What else should people pick up and read? Well, I, I'll tell you, one of my favorite books in the last couple of years has been Who Not How. Oh, yeah. Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan. Yeah, yeah. Are you in Strategic Coach? I am. Yes. A actually, I'm in Strategic Coach because of that book. That's why I'm in Strategic Coach. That's what got me in there. Fascinating. I read that and, and I joined Strategic Coach after reading that book as well. And then I said to a friend of mine, yeah, I've joined Strategic Coach. And Ethan said, 
I've been telling you for years you should change strategic It's just like he'd been saying it to me and it just been going over my head. I hadn't been listening to him at all. So I thought that was terrific. There's a new one. I actually interviewed the author the other day on my podcast and it's called The Innovation Ultimatum. And it's about the six technologies that are going to re- reshape the business future. And it includes AI, of course, and blockchain, but it includes four others, including uh, virtual reality that he thinks will completely change the business, every business. And I, I think that, we, you know, we've seen this chat GPT, we've seen the AI that Microsoft's come out with, and it's going to have a very immediate and very lasting impact on how we do business. It's a, it's a big deal. So we're going to have to pay close attention and start using it, else we're going to be left behind. What's the podcast called? The podcast is The Wealth Ability Show. How long have you been doing it? I've been doing it for four years. Very good. And is it weekly? It's it well, I do it. I do the wealth ability show twice a month, and then I do a show just for CPAs, just for accountants. I do a separate podcast, you know, every other week for just for the profession, just for tax and accounting professionals. Very good. Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much indeed for sharing your perspective and your knowledge. Yeah, absolutely happy to. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you'd be kind enough to leave a review, it will really help other like-minded entrepreneurs find this podcast and grow our community. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to monkhouseandcompany.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find some cracking show notes, additional reading and links relating to our guest. There you can also find my blog and past episodes of my subjectively not crap newsletter, where I'll update you on the best articles I read that week, some recommended books and other podcasts. Thanks, and I will see you next week.